To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I am Mark DeVoe, and thank you so much for joining us today. And before we dive in, we'd like to thank our amazing sponsors of The Bestseller Experiment. That is none other than Pro Writing Aid. And Pro Writing Aid is the official editing software of The Bestseller Experiment. It's more than just a grammar check. It's a style editor writing mentor all in one package and I personally use it every day in fact pretty much every like 10 minutes of my day right now because it's integrated into everything I do whether it's email whether it's writing and it's absolutely fantastic because what I love about it is it gives you suggestions it doesn't tell you what you've what you've done wrong and what you have to do. It gives you suggestions. So I love it. So if you would like to try more than just a basic grammar checker or spell checker, you must try it out. It integrates with Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, and Outlook. And it's designed for people that really want to take their writing to the next level. So if you would like to get a 20% off right now, please go along to get your discount at prowritingaid.com forward slash bestseller. So, Mr. Stay, how are you today? I'm Tickety Boosa. Very, very good. Ready and roaring to go with our very, very special guest. Yeah, this is going to be a really fun episode because we have a guest that we had back. Oh, my goodness me. It was like the first year, wasn't it? This is going back quite a while. I can't believe it's been this long. But we did ask very, very, we pleaded, actually. We were on our knees (laughs) asking if this guest would come back and join us because we had such an amazing chat with her. Um, And things have things have progressed and we have today in the studio none other than kate harrison kate welcome back to the bestseller experiment i am delighted to be here (laughs) it's absolutely lovely to have you and for those of you who who missed the original episode of which there's probably very few i'm thinking mark um let's just re let's give them a quick recap um as to kate's background well, Kate is a novelist. Uh, she's written books like The Secret Shopper, Shopper's Revenge, Secret Shopper and Reps, Soul Beach YA stuff. She also writes thrillers under the name Kate Helm and has also written various health books, in particular major best-selling 5-2 health diet books. But one of the reasons we got Kate here today is we got we got wind of a secret project that she's working on now, which we're really, really excited about. So, so Kate, do you want to tell us about this brand new book that's coming our way? Well, which which brand new book? Oh, because gosh. actually, I've got two top secret projects. What? Um, I've got one that we're going to chat about today, which is my guide to pitching. Yes. Called Pitch Power, but I've also got another whole new name. Another name? Is this is this a, is this a fetish you've got, Kate? Just collecting <laughs> collecting uh, pseudonyms. Collecting identities. That is the best thing about being a writer, is that you can kind of change your identity whenever you fancy. You can be anything to all people. But yes, now I've got another name as well. So I'm going to be Eva Carter. And I've um, sold my book in lots of uh, different territories. It's another novel, another women's fiction novel called How to Save a Life. 
So, um, yeah, it's been a busy old time. So tell us what, so this is really interesting because Mark and I, we had, a, and you probably remember this, Kate, because I know that you're a, you're a fan of the podcast, but Mark and I had this big old debate about what I, what we should do for our name of back when we were putting out Back to Reality. At one point, we were going to go under a female pseudonym. Another point, we were going to just go by our, our own names. And then I decided to have a pseudonym so that I could separate my nonfiction and fiction work. But what you're saying is you're going for a second pseudonym for fiction. Am I right? A third. Yes. A third. So why? Why a third? Well, no, so what? What was the reason? The thinking behind that? It was that I had written another different genre of book, <laughs> <laughs> and partly as well, a bit like what you're saying about the fiction and nonfiction. So obviously, I wrote uh, a lot of women's fiction books under my own name up until about 2012, 2013. And then I started writing these Health 5.2 books. And if you go onto Amazon now and other online booksellers, you're going to find that the nonfiction stuff comes up straight away. Mm. Also, this new book, although it's women's fiction, it's more epic love story than rom-com, which is what my old books were sold as, really. They were sold as kind of chiclet rom-com. And this is a bit more sweeping, a bit more epic. And we discussed it quite a lot. Um, when I went out with the book with my agent and then we discussed it with the publishers and yeah, Eva Carter was born. Wow. That's amazing. Cause do you know, one of the biggest challenges we discussed about pseudonyms was this whole idea of you, you, you spend all this time building up an audience, a mailing list, a specific um, genre, if you like, of reader in a, in a particular pseudonym. And then when you, when you have to start with another pseudonym, you're kind of almost starting from scratch. So how did you kind of balance that between, you know, if you like having to start from scratch again, versus that clarity of not getting your readers confused about the different types of areas you write in? I don't know the answer to that yet, because the book won't be out (laughs) until 2021. But I guess it's, we're not trying to make it a secret pseudonym. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about it right now. So, oh, we can ask and, everyone just to keep secret if you like this. You know, yeah, we, everyone who's listening, we could just make a pact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, careless, careless talk costs books on sales. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, let's see if it works or not. I hope it does. But I think it was just that thing. Particularly, it's those pesky algorithms. Yes, again. I was going to ask. Is it? Is it the? Is it the also bought algorithm thing? Because, like you said, the five two health books, they, you know, they do come up as top search results. So any new novel from Kate Harrison would be maybe you know below the line when it comes up. So was that the the main thrust of your thinking with that? That's one of the thinking, and I think also just when we went out on submission with the book, it's nice to have a completely fresh eye when you're right. sending work to editors and so on. They're obviously going to have preconceptions about my books. Mm. Maybe they do. Maybe they've never heard of me. It it doesn't make a lot of difference. But you know that was partly it to let's say let let's go out with this and see what happens with it, and then let's have that discussion about the pseudonym or not. I mean, the the strange thing is, of course, that there is a lot of crossover between women's fiction and people who buy my health and diet books. Mm. So it's who knows. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I guess uh, one of the one of the. Uh, interesting things about this is it's a nice problem to have from your perspective because your non-fiction has been so so successful i think you remember remember you telling us how many books you'd sold non-fiction it's it's up there isn't it i've kind of lost track but it was certainly heading for a million 
yeah worldwide just to help yeah. put, put that into perspective for the listener this is a good problem to have that you have to choose a separate so i mean it, it's it's one of those things where on the best sell experiment you know we talk about people and you're you're an incredibly interesting guest because it's quite rare that we find someone who's who's had a huge success in both non-fiction and fiction and that also gives you the platform really to to be an expert in how to pitch book and also how to write a good blurb because the other thing we're going to be focusing on today folks is we we've we've asked our listeners to send in some of the blurbs of their books that are up on amazon and kate is a bit of a wizard a wizardess sorceress maybe um when it comes to looking at the pitch and making all of the changes needed to kind of really improve because that's one thing that we haven't really looked at much on the podcast and we know that it's 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 huge isn't it kate i mean the blurbs on the back of the book it's it's would you say it's the second most important thing after the cover i haven't got the research to back it up but if you think about it as a journey then it does start with the cover and the title and the title in fact i would argue is part of the pitch and really it's leading people along a line towards needing to get hold of your book and to start reading it right now. And that applies not only to readers, but also if you're pitching agents or publishers direct, because they want to be experiencing that excitement as well. Having said that, I, although I'm calling the book Pitch Power, sometimes people really respond badly to the word pitch. And I would argue that pitching is the opposite of the hard sell. For me, at least, it's about really drilling down and looking in depth at your book, your writing, your background, your motivations as a writer, and then looking at what it is you've produced, what the story is, what you're going to be offering to the reader, and then selling off the back of that. So you're not doing the hard sell and saying, I'm trying to sell this book to absolutely everybody. You're really understanding your own USP as a writer. And then you're using that to discover your audience, to sign correctly to the people who are going to enjoy it most because we all know from bad reviews there is no point in selling your book inappropriately to someone who's not going to enjoy it but it takes quite a deep understanding that that's often hard to get as a writer of your own work to do that and that's what I'm going through in in the stages that I've got um to help you give you that perspective and then see how you can stand out I think this is this is absolute. So many writers are crying out for this. I was at Galant's Fest recently, and we had the sort of speed dating pitch sessions. And for writers starting out, developing that skill set to be able to sell the sizzle, to sell their own work, is is something that I know so many people are desperate just for a bit of guidance on that. So how does how does the book help them out? What there are seven steps that you identify. There, there are indeed seven steps, and uh, there's actually an eighth step as well, which is how I use it. Um, I actually use my pitch on my blurb right from the very first planning stage. As soon as I've got an idea, the first thing I do is to write myself a little blurb. Wow. Um, so you can actually use it that way as well, which is what I mean. It's quite a holistic, not holistic in a kind of lentils and macrame way, but a holistic <laughs> approach to your writing. Although there's nothing wrong with either lentils or macrame. Definitely but, not. But, you know... It's applicable, I think, to everybody. And so my stages are, it starts off with the title, as I said, because I think the title is actually the most important um, thing to start with, alongside the cover. But as a writer, you don't have control of that at the beginning of the process anyway. It's title, then it's hook. So the hook is the big story question 
all the answer that you're giving in the case of a non-fiction book to a problem something that immediately makes the reader think oh I want to know more then we have got a b and c and this is adapted from the work I used to do working in television when I was a development producer so my whole role was sitting on beanbags coming up with ideas (laughs) and then actually putting the hard sell into that to try and um make it work for commissioners but again coming from that place of understanding the audience which is something people in telly do far better than the book trade so the abc are a for approach that's your story or your content and how you're going to get it across b is benefit people really struggle with this but it's the emotional experience of reading your book that your reader is going to get so it's putting yourself into the shoes of a reader the armchair of a reader and then the third thing is competition that's part of the NBC and that is not a scary thing at all I just think competition really scary but actually what it is it's about proving the case for your book by working out what it's similar to in terms of books that have done really well but then what differentiates you and it could only be a little point but that's all important then we come to the final two stages which are bio that's your own biography. So what is it about your life so far that has got you to the stage that you've written this book? And teasing out some of the interesting bits about that that give the reader faith that you're the person that should be telling the story or explaining a non-fiction topic. And then the final thing is, is pitch perfect. It's bringing it all together to create that powerful pitch, which could either be, it could be three things, basically, at the end of all this. It could be a query letter to agents, publishers it could be a brilliant blurb that you're writing because you've decided to go the independent route so you're writing a sales copy for online and other bookshops and the final thing is what i mentioned before this book idea builder where you are using it right from the very beginning to tease out what this book that you haven't written a single word of yet but might be in the end there we go those are your stages that's brilliant. That really is, it's, it's beautifully laid out actually. And it's very simple to understand. And I, I think it's fantastic. You mentioned about the hook in stage two. Um, I mean, I'm guessing that's the same. I mean, you've both worked in, I know you both worked in TV. I've, I've come across the term logline. Um, is that a similar kind of thing where you kind of, you're summarizing the, uh, the you're capturing the essence of what it is that you're writing in, in one sentence? It's similar, but I wouldn't say it's exactly the same. So a logline does give you a bit more of a sense of what the what the story is going to be, what the content is going to be. And a logline is the kind of thing, in the end, you might see it in a, a EPG or in the Radio Times, where you've got a summary. A hook can often be more like a question. So um, in the case of 13, but Steve Cavanagh's book, you know, that is one that many thriller writers have said recently is mm. just the a great hook because it's the killer isn't on trial on the jury so that is not the story you don't know anything about the story per se you don't know where it's set you don't know uh, if it's, it could be a comedy it could be all sorts of things but it's just a hook that makes you think wow i want to know some more about that. tell me about it tell me the answer to those questions do you see the difference? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that makes complete sense. And so we've asked some of our um, our bestseller experiment patrons, people that are supporting this podcast, um, part of our BXP team that we talk about a lot on this show. These are people who are supporting the podcast and um, we, we reach out to them when we need 
interesting questions for our guests, for example. But also in this case, we've actually reached out to them and asked them to send us their blurbs. A bit like the one-page punch-ups that you'll have heard Mark do on our deep dives and on the main show where we, we, we ask for readers. But one thing that we've done is we thought, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, right, Mark? So we've decided, <laughs> we've decided to, to pull our current blurb off of back to reality from Amazon. And we're going to get it put to the, the test. We're going to ask Kate to basically rip it apart um, and, and tell us how we can make it make it better and we're going to do that though in a deep dive so if you want to support this podcast you want to hear kate talking about that plus another uh, a number of other listeners um blurbs um just simply go on to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and simply sign up to become a patron you get access to the bxp team but you'll also get access to all of these deep dives where you can really go deep on very specific subjects and um as a little example kate we thought on this it'd be fun on this show on the on on the on the main show to actually get one of our listeners blurbs and read it to you and then maybe you'd uh, be able to dissect it a bit using using these stages that you've mentioned would you be up for doing that definitely excellent stuff so we're going to randomly pick we've thank you to everyone who sent in these blurbs we're going to randomly pick a blurb off this list and mark i want you to pick a number between one and 15 two Two. Okay, so we are going to do Wildflowers by Rob Gibson. Okay, so Mark, if you could bring that one up. Mark is in his best Brian Blessed, maybe. <laughs> He's going to read this. So just to, just to confirm for the listeners, this is when you go to Amazon and you see the picture on the left, on the right-hand side, you see the blurb. It's the thing that's on the back of the book when you're in the bookstore. This is what currently is on Rob's book. And Mark is going to now read it to us. So, Wildflowers, Rob Gibson. Starting at a new school in the middle of the year sucks at the best of times. But for Jazz Watanabe, it's murder. A student has just been brutally killed. Being the new kid in a school drowning in grief and fear isn't exactly the perfect social recipe. Yet, against all odds, Jazz begins to make friends. She even manages to talk to the cutest boy in the grade without making a complete fool of herself. Then tragedy strikes. One of Jazz's new friends is killed. And like the first victim, her heart is missing. Jazz wants to find out who did it, but when every person in the school could be the killer, who can she trust to help her? And when every clue seems to be telling her that the killer has magic powers, can she even trust herself? It's up to Jazz to decide who her real friends are, to solve the mystery and find the killer, even if it might cost her life. Wildflowers is a YA murder mystery fantasy for fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Agatha Christie. And then there's a little bio at the end. Rob Gibson has been writing for online and print publications for over a decade and is the creator of the popular website, he said what now, .com. This is Rob's debut novel. There we go. Excellent. So there you go, Kate. Over to you. This is brilliant. This is, <laughs> there's very little to criticise here, although I have got a few suggestions. So I'm going to go through them step by step. Wildflowers is the title. So the title's the first part of the hook. And I always ask three questions about a title. Is it enticing? Is it appropriate? And is it memorable? And I would say it scores on all of those. Wildflowers is enticing. What is this about? Um, especially in the context of the rest of it, because you're dying to know how that relates to the blurb. Is it appropriate? Well, seems to be. 
And is it memorable? Yes, it's short, it's pithy. You're going to remember that one. The first line, I just think it's fantastic. You know, starting at this new school in the middle of the year sucks at the best of times. You know, it sounds really lighthearted and then straight into a murder. A student's just been brutally killed. Mm. What I like about this is it's got irony. Um, that's often a feature of a really good hook or a really good title. And it's got a certain dryness of tone to it as well that I really like. Then we're going through as it builds into um, the school being um, full of grief and fear and she's making friends. We're already kind of empathising with her because we've got her in that situation. We know she's our main character and kind of bingo, we're with her. And then another death and the heart is missing. I mean, this Mm. really keeps building. And I think a good blurb builds. It's a bit like a movie or a TV trailer. You want to be heading for something that you want to know more. So then we get some good questions. Questions can really work in a blurb because you're passing the questions over to the reader. You're asking them to start answering and to engage with the content. Um, and then you've got this this last line here. It's up to Jazz to decide who her real friends are, to solve the mystery and find the killer. You talk about the power of three, you know, the three in storytelling, everything else. Like He's got that there. But then you've got this last bit, even if it might cost her life. So I think this is really strong. Mm. We've then got what we call the, we're then dealing with the competition. So Wildflowers is a YA murder mystery fantasy. So we know exactly what genre it is, really helps. He has got a very clear idea of where his book sits in the marketplace, which a reader wants to know. But also if he were to be pitching this to a publisher or an agent, they want to know where it sits, but also that he knows, that he knows what he's writing. The comp titles, so these are the comparator titles, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Agatha Christie. So we've got that nice combination of something from TV and something very um, from the world of literature. The only thing I would say here, and this would be one of my suggestions, is if this is YA, could he come up with more more contemporary comps? Um, Because I don't know how resonant those would be necessarily to his audience they're resonant to us but are they the right ones for him and then he's also got a simple nice well done bio it doesn't take us into vast amounts of detail about his life and times the only thing I would say there would be maybe could there be a hint about why he's writing YA was he a great fan of Buffy what you know that might be a place to put in the Buffy reference if he could come up with a more contemporary one um, under the comp titles, you know, was a massive Buffy fan. My only two final points, and uh, this is lovely and pithy, but with a few more words, you could add in maybe a tiny little bit more about Jazz, kind of what's her background, why has she joined this school all of a sudden, what makes her think that she might even have magic powers. Just a tiny hint at that. It's American set, I think I'm guessing here, because it's um, the grade, the cutest boy in the grade. I wouldn't mind one or two words about where the setting is for this school. Is it urban? Is it rural? And a tiny weeny hint about how it relates to wildflowers as a title. But otherwise, I would say it's perfect. Not much, not much to correct here at all. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think I think I I, I liked what you said about the idea of the referencing other the the, the comp titles as you call them, competitive titles. One of the things that I find fascinating is everyone does this because we have to. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things a lot of people groan at and think, well, my book's unique and it, you know, it's got its own place. But I think it's all about 
in some ways making it easier for fans to pigeonhole it, that it could be something they'd like. Now, you mentioned about this contemporary versus kind of um, old school. I'm wondering if if Rob is really into Agatha Christie and that's where his you know, his love of murder mystery comes from. Um, but like you say, you know, YA, do YA read Agatha Christie? So, so my question to you is, Kate, do you think, how is the best way of doing this when you have to put titles and reference other things? There's always the, for fans of, and there's also the kind of the mashup idea, imagine so-and-so, you know, this book meeting that book. What do you tend to, to guide people on when you're, when you're using external references to your own work? I think that it depends on the genre. So if you are looking at a more literary book in the comp, you might just not go for the mashup. So you might go, this has the literary dystopia of Margaret Atwood combined with the lyrical language of Anne Tyler. So you're then becoming quite specific about the reasons that you're citing those, which I think probably is will garner more respect, say, from a reader who's looking for literary fiction or also from an agent who's looking to represent literary fiction. If you've got something here which has got a slightly more casual tone and a slightly more kind of confident, flowing tone, then you can be a bit more X meets Y. So, uh, And it doesn't always matter uh, where you're taking those references from. I wouldn't have highlighted this if if it weren't YA. So uh, we we did it myself with the Eva Carter book. I was trying to work out what are we going to do. Lots of different comps, and we ended up with um, How to Save a Life. It's one day meets ER with a trickle of this is going to hurt. So that you know immediately you've got a sense there. It is fiction, but it's got a medical theme and there's light and shade. And I think that people can get that, you can explain in that shortcut way what the emotional benefit is going to be as well, and what I was talking about before. So people are getting a sense from that, not only what the subject matter is, but how it's going to feel. The one thing you cannot do, and I can't express this too strongly, and people have done it many times, is write to an agent or in a blurb on Amazon go, well, it's like one day, but better. (laughs) (laughs) you know and people do that all the time in conversation you know there's an arrogance don't be arrogant it's like when people in a blurb and and obviously one of the final elements from the pitch power kind of one of the outcomes could be writing a query letter and i have agents say this to me all the time that you know they will go well it's like your author whatever but kind of far better written (laughs) don't be that this is not how you do it no 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 (laughs) kate can i just go back to what you mentioned about titles early and the connection but because i i failed to make a connection between wildflowers and the the content i mean like say rob's done an amazing blurb here it really drags you in but that title feels uh well a bit flowery frankly and i've noticed a a trend i don't know if you've seen we were talking about this on the podcast a few weeks ago mr d about sort of netflix titles are getting very on the nose you know criminal sex education tall girl in in a you know in a world where we're we have less time to pick things out do we need to have titles that are more on the nose and more uh, opposite about what the book is actually about I think it depends what you're aiming at. And I think that if you have a really strong hook, as Rob does here, Mm. 
then you can get away with an oblique title because think of the two as working together. Um, I talk in the book as well about the, the idea of a shout line. So people who haven't come across that, uh, the shout line is is the subtitle effectively for a book. So it will usually appear under the cover. Often it's posed as a question and that can be part of the hook, but it, it doesn't, you have to think of the two going together yeah. because that's what yeah. you're presenting to the reader straight away. So Wildflowers works here because the hook is so strong. And also, I was thinking about it just now as we were talking about it. There is actually a program, I think, on Netflix at the moment that was on Channel 4 originally called Flowers, which was quite dark. Mm-hmm. Got Olivia Coleman. I mean, what hasn't got Olivia Coleman in it at the moment? <laughs> but it has got Olivia Coleman in it. The other thing, actually, that resonated with, with me here, and it would be really interesting to know if Rob uh, is listening and, and had thought of this, it also said to me, Heather's. So do you remember the right, movie Heather? Yes, 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 yes. That's very true, actually. Yeah. So I think there was something subtextual going on there, there with me thinking American high school, scary stuff. Mm, that's a good point. But I would like, as part of that blurb, as I said to you, I would like a little tiny bit more of a hint as to why, why this, why wildflowers for this. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting one because I think that part of the allure now is trying to work out what wildflowers is or are within the context of the story. And I guess that's something we'd find out if we pick the book up to read it. So I was just thinking, you know, some of those titles are, you do get these very strong trends in titles, as we noticed. So we've been through uh, the girls, the girls on the train and the (laughs) tattoos and goodness knows what. And now we seem to be moving on to women, uh, but not exclusively. And we've had the cafe, we've had cafe lit, um, which has, you know, been a really successful area of women's fiction. I would say now we're in the we're in the very long specific titles for literary fiction for Uplit, which yes. often feature a name. It'll be the, you know, the elephant of, kind of thing, yeah. Yes, and they will have an unusual name. So let's dive in and do. We've got time to do another one, folks. So I think we'll dive in and do another one. Um, so I'm going to ask Mark to pick another number between one and fifteen. Uh, four. Number four, let's have a look. So number four is Old Town by Darius Matthew. So Mark, would you like to read us that? Okay. Old Town. He should never have left home. A weekend phone call takes tech worker Leo away from the comforts of home and rushing towards the Scottish capital. Far from the tea rooms and tartan tourist traps usually frequented by visitors, he discovers Edinburgh's wicked heart a maze of old streets that have remained unchanged for hundreds of years. Unprepared for what he finds, he must keep his wits about him as his trip descends into chaos. And the biography? Darius Matthew is an exciting new suspense author. Born and raised in Scotland, he has finally done what he wanted to do all along and makes something up. He lives with his family in East London. And that's Old Town by Darius Matthew. So, Kay, what do you make of that? Right. Okay. Well, there's some good bits and there's some bits, Darius, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to make some suggestions about. So we start with the title as think of a title as a hook. Is it enticing? Hmm. I maybe, but is it enticing enough? I would say no. Is it appropriate? Well, yes, uh, it's about an old town. Uh, and is it memorable? Possibly. I think the title might be worth having another look at if you're thinking about it as being a hook. 
the the blurb or the hook starts with he should never have left home dot 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 i like that it's um a great kind of question like we immediately have that question in our minds as a reader why what on earth has happened to him by leaving home um and again if you think about that movie trailer idea old town he should never have left home i still think you could do something slightly better with that title that would that would then dovetail into the rest of it we then have this um, fairly short paragraph where we've got tech worker Leo. He's going away from home. He's rushing towards the Scottish capital. I've got a couple of problems with this. I'm not getting any sense of the genre. And remember when I was saying with Wildflowers, it was really clear immediately what the genre was. Um, we were in YA and we're in a slightly kind of bitter, dark-toned kind of um, YA. This, to be honest, from that blurb, it could be a comedy it could be a thriller. It could even be a sort of historical fantasy, you know, because he's finding a maze of old streets. I'm Im- immediately getting that Harry Potter vibe almost from there. So is it time slip? It's, although there's some nice details here, like the tea rooms and the tartan tourist traps, tongue twister as and a half there, um, you're not really, do you see what I mean? I'm not getting a sense of what this book really is. I also would like to know more about Leo. So far, we've only got the sense that he's a tech worker and maybe there's a hint that he really enjoys the comforts of home. So is he a bit of a nerdy hero who's kind of going out there into the adventure? I need more context. And I also need a bit more specific detail. So specificity is one of the things that is not only hard to say but it's quite appealing <laughs> i was gonna say i was just gonna i was just gonna give you a bestseller experiment word for saying that so beautifully because i think i've tried to say that word at least seven times since we started never managed to do it once so I'm, gonna, well done, I'm not Kate. gonna i'm not gonna do it again just in case i oh, kind of brilliant. Uh, you know kind of jinx myself but being (laughs) specific have putting in specific details really brings a blurb and a story to life so I was talking about those titles the Eleanor Oliphant titles one of the reasons that title really works is because it's such an unusual specific name Hmm. you want to know more about Eleanor and here you know we're not getting a lot that's specific apart from Edinburgh and the tea rooms I want to know specifically why he has to keep his wits about him and why his trip descends into chaos. Because as I've said, that could be a bunch of marauding wizards or it could be a terrorist attack. We don't really know from this point. Yeah, I think what Darius is experiencing here is something we went through as well, which is not knowing how much to talk about in that blurb and not wanting to give away spoilers or or giving too much detail. So it's about how do you guide people? Because this is something for everyone. I mean, obviously... Darius's Darius's bio is, is, I think, representative of a ton and ton of blurbs out there that are trying to hold back. So, where at what point do you draw that line, Kate, where you say, "Okay, you go up to here, but no further"? Look, this is a well-written, um, short piece of writing. You know, it's clear that he knows what he's doing in terms of sentence structure, and there's some enticing stuff going on here. But we're not getting those clues. And the best way to work this out for yourself is to do your competition research. You have to get in there and you have to look at, you have to decide what your genre is, and maybe you're between a couple, and you have to look at what is selling best right now, not even five years ago, on 
Amazon and other sites or go into a bookshop and, and kind of, you know, if no one's looking, take photos as a back cover or look at your own book- bookshelves at the moment. Look at the ones that are really successful and look at how far they're going in teasing the story and using appropriate language, because that's another thing that, that I think Wildflowers was doing well. The tone was right. And I'm getting some mixed messages with the tone here. So do a study of three, four, five of the best-selling books in your genre at the moment and look at what they're doing differently. It, you know, It's a great resource to have there because you can see exactly what people are doing to in, entice, entice people, especially when it comes to debuts because obviously if it's a Lee Child book, you know, Lee Child is, is one of the biggest hooks <laughs> for that book. Just his name on the cover will get people buying. Whereas a debut that's done really well, look at how the, the copy has been crafted and then think to yourself, what is it about mine that's different? Put in the questions, but you don't have to answer them. Of course you don't. This is different from writing a synopsis for an agent who wants to know that you resolve the story properly. This is a seduction. You are what, you're in the desire business here. You're trying to get a reader or an agent to desire your book in their hands right now. And, and the final thing, I'm sorry, Darius, it was a point that I made earlier, um, a far less harsh version of it but Darius Matthew is an exciting new suspense author my my question there says who you know unless you've got a quote from Lee Child or whoever it is to say that it just comes across as a little bit like well you know kind of Darius Matthew loves the suspense books of whatever and this inspired him don't make false claims leave that to the reader to decide Having said that, the next line's great. He was born and raised in Scotland. We're immediately getting that there's a relevance level. He knows what he's talking about in the setting of this story. And I like that. Uh, finally done what he wanted to do all along and make something up. Uh, you know, yeah. there's a smile in that. But again, does that match what he said in the previous one, an exciting new suspense author? The bio for a suspense author may not, obviously, may not need a joke or something to make you smile. Yeah, because you see what I mean. There's a mismatch. It's it's almost like it it does lead you down because I I suddenly see in that line it made me smile and laugh when Mm. when you know and and wants to make and make something up and I think what that leads me down the road is oh this this is this this author's got a good comedy um, value behind it and that maybe is reflecting in the story but there's none of that in the actual blurb itself so it's an interesting mix I mean the the, the other thing that I think is missing is this idea of the competition for your book now if you're going to set a suspense novel in Edinburgh first of all you're on Ian Rankin's turf so what sets you apart from Ian Rankin or even Quentin Jardine who's another author who's you know sets some his thrillers in in Edinburgh, you know, what makes you, maybe it is that ironic sense of humour. Maybe that is, if so, maybe he needs to lean into that a bit more. Yes. And you could use, you could do that in the comp title. So it could be the, you know, the, the chilly setting of name your favourite Scottish um, suspense writer combined with whoever is relevant to the the kind of humour that he might be getting at you know is it terry pratchett if we're going into another world and although obviously terry pratchett is um because he's now deceased so he hasn't published a book for a while he's still such an icon in that world that you could use him as a comp author as a comp title even on this i think coming back to that title old town could be an ian rankin title Mm. and i think Mm. that's why i would argue that 
give give that a little bit more thought because he could get away with that but I would feel that in this it's part of the specificity I said it again <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's part of that to be saying what you know what is going to set me Darius apart from the the ones who are already super successful in this area do you know where Ian Rankin gets a lot of his titles from you no no oh I wish um now they're usually obscure records and uh, album tracks of obscure bands. Uh, so when he did Exit Music a few years ago, everyone assumed it was uh, Radiohead's Exit Music, and it wasn't. It was from a, a completely different band altogether. But <laughs> that's, um, yeah, but that's, uh, that's where he gets his titles from. And I, I remember an editor telling me as well that one great place for titles is to look at IMDb at the movies, but don't look at the titles, look at the, the shout lines, the log lines for them, because very often there's a two, three word f- phrase in there that is just designed to grip people. And it's, you know, if you're stuck for a title that uh, you want to jump out and grip people, why not just go through IMDb and um, just start scribbling notes and, you know, doing uh, mashing words up? I mean, movies and song titles are fantastic because they have built in memorability. And you know, I always think with titles, as I say, enticing, yes, it has to be seductive, appropriate, it has to match the, the book, but memorable is so important mm. um, because it's no good having a book that you loved and then your reader, your reader that loves it can't actually remember what the title is in order to pass it on. You know, that's, that's not really going to work as word of mouth. Mm. And I think one of the really brilliant things, though, that Darius has done, which which I think would be a real attraction. And I was thinking this when I started thinking about the mazy streets. I've been to Edinburgh and I've been in some of those little back streets. I think anyone who's been to Edinburgh and ever been on like one of those haunted tours that they do, they know exactly what we're talking about. So I think what's what, what grabbed me about this blurb is it appeals to anyone who's ever actually been to Edinburgh. And it's, it's amazing to think, but Edinburgh is actually the second visited city after London in the UK. Did you know that? No. So I thought it was Brighton, all, actually. I live right? in Brighton, and I would all, yeah. often think it is Brighton from the number of people, but I can see that Edinburgh would uh, would stand a, a very good chance there. 1.3 million tourists a year, and I just wonder if he was, if this book was, being, for example, being pitched to a American audience, for example, there might be uh, the niche that he's going for are people who, who, who've been to Edinburgh, love Edinburgh, know, know about those streets, or people that wish they could go there. And that might be a kind of allure. So I think, I think there's a lot of strength in, in that, would you say, in terms of the location that he's picked? Definitely. And, and this is the thing about really going deep into your own work and understanding it, is that if you can then come up with an, a similar, again, looking at the competition, if you were looking at something which is tonally similar to what he's writing here, but you are turning the fact that you've got this incredible attractive tourist city as your setting then you've 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 got that unique thing about yourself that you're pushing forward and and that takes a little bit of time sometimes to step back because we're when we've written a book we are so excited about it and but also we can't see the wood for the trees (laughs) and that's why I think sort of being able to analyze it's why often you know, you might have um, been really struggling for a title and then you'll literally pitch the book at a friend or a colleague and they'll go, oh, you should call it this. And it's because they're not in that world. They've come up with the perfect title just like that because they're they're outside it. And I suppose what I'm talking about with these different tools is using those to be able to give you the chance to have that 
that distance and uh you know that that's that's what you need to be able to do it's the difference between being a writer in the creative sense and being an author in the business sense brilliant well if you want to f- listen to some more blurbs we have got another well, I've got a whole bunch of them we might that we've been sent through but we're going to do a deep dive where we just focus on them we just carry on doing these these blurb uh, critiques if you like and uh, we're wondering Kate if you'd be willing to join us to run through those I love it I love it. Pictures are my favourite thing. I'm very weird as an author. I love pictures. No one else, no, you ask almost every other author, they dread doing them. It is my superpower. Brilliant. Well, that's fantastic. So if you'd like to listen to the deep dive with us and Kate go through some more of our listeners' blurbs, then please tune into the deep dive that will be coming out in a couple of days after you hear this podcast. So Kate, you've got this amazing book, Pitch Power, coming out very, very soon. Where can people find out more and where can they get a copy? Well, you can get your copy on Amazon. It should be available uh, now, but certainly around the nano time. So just look for Pitch Power, discover what makes your book irresistible and how to sell it uh, by me, Kate Harrison, or I've got my website, which is kate-harrison.com. Brilliant stuff. And I I presume you've got a mailing list on there that people can sign up to if they want to find out more about all the other books that you've done. Got a mailing list and as well as the ebook itself, you will be able to follow a link from the ebook to get some downloadable worksheets if that's the way that you want to do it. Mm, wonderful. And where do you frequent yourself on social media? You cross all the social media channels, or are there I, the one um, Yes, I'm on the Facebook, I'm on the Twitter, <laughs> I'm on the Instagram. Um, but I'm a bit sporadic because it depends how deeply I'm into writing something. Uh, sometimes I find it a bit too much of a distraction and I would never get it finished if I kept on the socials. And I think I think that is one of the number one challenges of every author. It's just a lesson to be learned, love, there, hate. isn't there? Yeah. Indeed, it's a love hate relationship. We love it, and there are times when we wish we could just keep writing, but not on social media. Yeah. So, brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for for joining us today, and we'd like to wish you all the best in the release of your new book. It's really exciting, and we hope it uh, we hope it actually helps so many of our listeners land whatever it is they're looking to do whether it's to get that amazing blurb up whether it's to to find an agent to to pitch their book to a publisher and um, we look forward to chatting to you very shortly in the deep dive thank you and listeners if you've listened to this and you think oh i'd love my blurb read out or i want to be involved in the one page punch-ups or i want to go to the live shows come and support us on patreon there's three tiers if you just want to support us you can be a pensmith for two dollars a month for five dollars you're a bestseller to be and you get all those juicy deep dive episodes for ten dollars and this is the one you want you're a chart topper you get the deep dives access to our bxp group on facebook which is giving great value at the moment it's amazing best-selling award-winning authors on there giving advice you get the episodes early you get bonus episodes and you can submit to our one-page punch-ups and live shows so pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and if you want to get that 20 percent off pro writing aid go to prowritingaid.com forward slash bestseller brilliant stuff thanks again so much kate and it's a goodbye from mark one and goodbye from mark two goodbye goodbye, goodbye.